The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church and is part of our series in the book of 1 Corinthians. For more information about our church, for more sermon audio, or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. If you're a guest or a visitor with us, I want to specifically welcome you. We have been on a bit of a journey through the book of 1 Corinthians together. And we're going to continue on in that journey this morning. It has been, it is, I'll put it like this, it has been a joy to be able to preach this text as your pastor. This is one of these things that make me very grateful that I get to do what I get to do. And I am, um, I am so ready for what God has for us this morning. Last week, um, we started into chapter 2. We looked at the first five verses And specifically, what we talked about is the fact that when we proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, that that is a supernatural work. That when we proclaim the message of the simple gospel, as Paul says, the the Jesus Christ and him crucified, that, that God shows up and he works through the simple gospel being proclaimed. We looked at Paul, who was coming to this this city of Corinth, and he could have come with all different kinds of tactics. He could have been uh, coming with all different kinds of persuasive arguments and eloquent speech. But Paul says specifically, I chose not to do any of that. I chose instead to come to you armed with nothing but the simple gospel. And he even says, I did this with a little fear. I did this knowing that I and myself am weak but he knows that the gospel is never weak. The gospel is power. And so he steps in and he proclaims the gospel. In verse 44, he says, in my speech and my, my message, we're not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. So your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but the wisdom of God. So the demonstration of spirit and power, because it's never been about us. It's never been about you, how great you are at at delivering this message. It's always been his work so that not one of us can say that our faith rests in any person other than Jesus Christ, that this is his work, that evangelism is a a supernatural endeavor where God shows up through the the proclamation of the message about his son. That's what it is, and that's why there's a joy of evangelism in evangelism that sometimes we don't see, that we don't tap into, because when we start to think that it's about us, it starts not to be as fun. <laughs> We're going to talk about that here in a bit. But Paul's going to build on this idea this morning. He's going to go a little bit deeper into this, and the text that we're going to look at has profound implications for us, because last week, whereas we talked about how when we proclaim the gospel message that that is a supernatural work of God, well, Paul's going to build on that, take it a a level deeper, and say that the gospel message is not only supernaturally delivered, but it's supernaturally delivered received. So that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. So in light of that, uh, just for a quick moment, I'd like us to just stop and pray. I'd like for us to pray not only that his word is communicated clearly, delivered clearly, uh, but as we're going to talk about, that, that the Spirit would empower us to receive it well. 
So for a moment, would you just pray with me? God, we thank you for this privilege. I thank you for specifically the words of that last song and, and that they are true. God, I thank you that we stand on something so, so good. This morning, I pray that, that uh, you um, open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts to what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, uh, to get us ready for our text, which we're going to start in verse 6, actually, this morning, I want to uh, pull out a few quotes from Paul earlier on in this letter. Um, and as I read this, you're going to get this sense that Paul has something against wisdom. Uh, it, it, really. It says in verse 18 in, in chapter 1, the word of the cross is folly. And then in 19, listen to this, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The, discerning, the discernment of the discerning I will thwart in verse 19. In verse 20, it says, who is, who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of the age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? In verse 21, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Um, verse 20, 26, for consider your calling. Not many of you were wise. Thanks, Paul. According to worldly standards, um, verse 27, but God chose what is foolish in the world to, to shame the wise, what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And then in, in what we looked at last week in verse 4 of chapter 2, in my speech and my message were not in plausible words of what? Of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power so that your faith, again, might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So, it feels a little bit like Paul is not a fan of this thing called wisdom. He's, he seems like he is picking it apart. I know that what, if wisdom is what Paul is talking about, I don't want it, right? But what's going on here? Because wisdom is a good thing. Wisdom is something that we should seek, something that we should pray for. Um, well, Paul's going to tease that out a little bit more for us this morning, and, and we'll start in verse 6. In verse 6 of chapter 2, um, it says this, Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Now he's going to build this foundation. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a, a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Okay. So just as a foundation for us, Paul is, is going to, he puts two different types of wisdom on, on the board, and he's going to distinguish between them. We have on this side wisdom that is, is of this age or of the rulers of this age and um, is doomed to pass away. Compared to over here, you, we have what Paul calls secret, hidden wisdom that is of God and was planned before the, before the ages, is what Paul says. So you get this eternal sense. So he, he puts these two beside each other. And this is really important because on one hand, you have the wisdom of the age that's, that is, is of the rulers of this age and passing away. So it's temporary. And then on this side, you have this hidden thing, this hidden wisdom that is of God and is eternal. And now what Paul says is that as a messenger of, of the gospel, as a follower of Jesus, as someone who knows the truth, 
we impart this secret or hidden wisdom. Now, as we do this, just to set the stage, um, here's what we can expect. Verse 8, none of the rulers of this age understood this. Uh, For if they did, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Paul is looking at the wisdom of the world, and he says it's running counter to the wisdom of God, and in because the wisdom of this age is temporary, it's changing. It's it's changing. Um, so just for a moment, I want to bring this to, to our life, and I want us to just think about this. The wisdom of this age change, changes all the time. All the time. We shift in our ideas and we shift in our opinions. If you're a history person, you see this very clearly. Um, but just think about how much has changed in, in worldview and, and philosophy. How, how much has changed just in recent generations? I think of something, if you're not familiar with the term, um, post-modernity or post-modern thought. Which, whereas, there, there used to be an idea that there is truth, there is absolute truth, there's something that is true outside of us. Now, wisdom of the age tells us that there is no such thing as absolute truth, that it's relative. It's relative to who you are. It, what's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me. And, and no one person's truth should be elevated among, over anyone else's. That's the wisdom of this age. And let me just say that what I just said there would have been ridiculous to generations before us. They would have heard that and said, what on earth are you talking about? A tree is a tree. I don't care what you think it is. It's a tree. Right? This would be absolutely absurd because wisdom changes. Philosophies change in even short amount of times. Um, think about the, the things that we are currently facing with in our culture, the cultural issues. Have you seen a change? Have you seen this massive shift in just a really short period of time? Issues of sex and gender, issues of family, issues of God, issues of science. We see these things just changing. Here's what I want you to see is the debates that we're having today would have been absurd years earlier. Wouldn't even have been on their map in past generations. Worldly wisdom is a moving target. It moves and it changes and it, and it grows. And, and what's what's accepted and celebrated today will most likely be denied and rejected in the future. Look at history. It, it, it does this. We, we, wisdom changes. And so Paul looks at his time and says, the wisdom currently of the age is running counter to the wisdom of God. And if you need any proof of that, let's look at Jesus Christ. Look no further than the cross because the wisdom of the age looked at Jesus Christ and and who was, by the way, the wisdom of God just personified, they looked at him, and what happened? They, they crucified him. The wisdom of the age is not the wisdom of God. Paul is then going to quote this, this text um, from Isaiah 64. It says, but, in verse 9, But it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. That is a beautiful text. Um, we've said this before, but when Jesus came, he was nothing that they were expecting. 
He was absolutely not. Think about it. When, when he came, the, the followers of Yahweh, the followers of God, they were scattered everywhere. No kingdom, no king. They were scattered, and they thought, don't worry, because a Messiah is coming to fix this. He's going to come. He's going to crack the whip. It's going to be okay. He's going to rule and reign in power. He's going to be magnificent. He's going to bring all of this under control We know he's coming. It's crazy now, but we know our Messiah is coming. He's going to set this right. All nations are going to look to him and bow their knee to to him. The Messiah is coming. That's that's what they were waiting for. And then Jesus comes. He was truly everything they were hoping for, but he was at the same time nothing that they were expecting. Nothing. So he comes in absolute humility and love. He comes in the power of, of, of humility and sacrifice. He was magnificent. They just didn't have the eyes to see. He was full of wisdom, but they just didn't have the eyes to hear. They weren't. He was the very plan from the foundation of the world. And he, he was right in front of them. And they did not see. They did not believe. The heart of man could not have imagined this, Paul says what was prepared for those who love him. This was the plan. Okay, this is the secret and hidden wisdom that Paul is is talking about, and it is foolishness to the world. It is folly to to the world. It It is crazy to anyone who is clinging to the world's wisdom today. Now, uh, I wanna ask you a question just to get our brains going as we get deeper. Why is it? Why is it that the same gospel message delivered in the same way, delivered same place, delivered by the same person, delivered in the same circumstances, why is it that one will hear and accept and the other will hear and reject? Why is it That the message that transformed my life changed me completely. That someone else will hear that same message and think, well, that's ridiculous. And it will do nothing. Why is that? How could it be? If, If the delivery didn't change, the message didn't change, what is it that makes it wisdom to one, foolishness to the other? As a pastor... And just as a follower of Jesus, I wish that every person I talked to about Jesus Christ believed. I wish that every person that I talked to about Jesus would would see the beauty and the wonder of the good news of Jesus Christ. I wish that everyone would see the joy that I see of living a life as a child of God. I wish, I wish, I wish there was just this, um, like a get it button. And I could just say, Jesus is Lord, push, get it. Like, I wish that was possible. You do too. But that is not how it works. And my heart absolutely breaks when, when people don't, when they don't get it, when they don't see it, when they see the gospel, the gospel that has changed my life, when they look at it and say, irrelevant. Breaks my heart. It, it absolutely breaks my heart. But in this text... Paul is going to give us an insight into what is happening. 
He's gonna give us an insight into what is happening, and this is so important to understand. I wanna read this next paragraph, and we'll walk through it, but uh, just a warning, this thing is packed, all right? Listen to this. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit. Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. I warned you, it was packed. Um, He says, these things, that's the secret wisdom. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. That Paul says, God reveals these things. And then, let's just look at this next verse. Verses 10 and 11. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the, thought, the thoughts of God except for the Spirit of God. Now, I want you to follow with me. This is incredibly logical, what, what Paul just did here. And, and to help us kind of see this analogy, um, and to help this kind of hit home, I want to ask for a volunteer. Austin, would you mind coming up here? Austin is awesome. If you don't know Austin, you need to know him. He's a part of my community group, and uh, I guess there's negatives to being in the community group of your pastor. This being one of them. (laughs) I promise, though, as I told you, this will be the easiest thing you've ever volunteered for ever. All right? What I need you to do, just right here, think angry thoughts. Just think just think, don't, don't speak, just think angry thoughts. You doing it? I'm there, man. This all is right. as angry as it gets. All right, all right. <laughs> My wife might tell you I'm lying. All right, all right, all right. So he's there, as angry as it gets. Church, do you believe him? Some do, some don't, right? Do we believe him? I mean, do we take his word for it? I mean, he... <laughs> He could just be weirded out that he's on stage. That's probably true. Um, he could be like, this room looks weird. This, this vantage point is strange. He could be mad at me. There, so there could be anger in this, real anger, right? Do we believe him? He's doing a good job. Do we believe him? At some point, at some point, the thoughts in his mind are hidden from us. And at some point, we're going to have to, you're scaring me. (laughs) At some point, we're going to have to take his word for it, right? At some point, we're going to have to trust our man, Austin, is angry. Now, Paul tells us in this verse that there is no way that we can know the thoughts that are going on in Austin's mind. There's no way that we can know except for Austin. Second, Cassie, his wife, probably has a better idea than most of us. Um, but no one knows the thoughts that are in Austin's mind except for himself or, as Paul says, his spirit. So let me just switch gears, and Austin, you're going to be God. Keep your, don't get a big head here. Um, if, if, if Paul says the same is true for God. So, so Austin is God. He's thinking angry thoughts. At some point, we got to trust that 
he's actually thinking what he says he's thinking, right? Right, amen? No one knows the thoughts of a person except for that person, his spirit. No one knows the thoughts of God except for God, his spirit. All right, thank you, I appreciate it. Give him a hand, it's not easy coming up here. <laughs> now, um, I want you to think about this. If, 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 if there was a way that as Austin was up here for us to know everything in his, in, in his head, if there was a way for us to, to know it, to not just hear about it, but to, but to know it. Imagine if we could know it with full confidence and transparency, like we had his mind. Like we literally had his mind, had it. That Austin's mind was literally communicating to us. Imagine. It's terrifying for Austin, I'm sure. But imagine if we could do that in this moment, that we had his mind. We don't have to guess. We don't have to take his word for it. We know. We know. This is what Paul says is our relationship with God. The reason that this text is very, this paragraph is packed and it's difficult to understand is because, of course, when Austin is up here, we don't have a way to go and get into his head and feel what he feels and to know his thoughts. We take his word for it. We don't have a way to do that. We don't even comprehend. But Paul says, like Paul says, it's impossible for a person to know another person's thoughts except for him, except for his, his spirit. But now, Paul tells us that God is the same way as Austin is. That's terrifying. God is the same way as Austin is. He, 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 we cannot know him. We cannot know his thoughts. Only he knows his thoughts, is what Paul just lays out for us. Um, but Paul tells us that we are invited into that. That we are invited into that. That not only does God tell us what he thinks with his word. Not only does he tell us what he thinks. um, Not only are we just supposed to, huh, I wonder. It's hidden. It's secret. Not only the very secret and wisdom of God becomes known to us. Because the spirit of God knows He knows the depths of God, as as Paul says. The Spirit knows the depths of God, knows what is is hidden. And this is what we received as a child of God. This is what we receive as a child of God. You receive the Spirit of God that we might understand what is in the mind of God, that we might feel, that we might know with certainty what is. God, Paul says that God has freely given to us. Now, I want us to stop and just realize how huge that that is, this idea. And it's going to become clear as we move forward. Realize that, that you and I know nothing about God except for that God chose to tell us about himself, right? We, we know that, that we wouldn't know God unless God revealed himself. But Paul says not only do we know about God, we get to know God through his spirit. Personally, intimately, we can understand the things of God which he gives to us freely. We can know the truth of the gospel. This has massive implications for us in our personal life. 
But this has profound impacts on on us as we tell others about Jesus. Listen to this. Verse 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The, The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord is to instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. So, he says there's two types of people, a natural and a spiritual. The natural is like, picture Austin back up here. I won't make you come up here, but picture Austin up here. The natural person looks at Austin and has to wonder what he's thinking. As Paul says, it's secret, it's hidden. We look at Austin and we have to wonder, what is he thinking? When, when he was up there brooding and thinking angry thoughts, we have to wonder, is he telling the truth? Is he really angry? How angry? We have, to, we have to wonder whether or not it is true. The same is true for a natural person in relationship to God. We, they look at, they have to decide whether or not they're going to believe him. They have to wonder whether or not they're going to believe the things that he tells us about himself. We have to wonder, is the word of God true? We have to to wonder. And just like we we are sitting here just having to take Austin's word for his anger, the natural man has to sit and wonder about God. Sit and wonder. At times it feels foolish. At times... We don't know if we can know for sure. How dare you tell me that what you think about God is better than what I think about God, and we get this guessing game when it comes to God. This is the natural man. This is the natural man. This is the natural response. This is what we should expect. This whole Christian thing is foolishness to the natural man. It's a guessing game at best. This is what we should expect. Paul says in verses one through five that, that the gospel is, is supernaturally de- delivered. It's simple. It's Jesus Christ, him crucified. That the gospel is supernaturally delivered. But in our text today, he's gonna move us forward and say not only is it supernaturally delivered, it is supernaturally received. That just as God's spirit is active as we share the gospel, In our lives, he is active through the receiving of the gospel. No one, no one in this room, no one in all of human history has been argued, coerced, um, debated into the family of God. No one, no one in all of time um, has been persuaded into the family of God. It's not how it works. Now, I love theology. I love Talking about theology, I love apologetics, I do, but hear me, um, apologetics encourage the faith, they edify the faith, it never originates it, ever. Uh, apologetics, that's not the job of, of, that's not our job, no one is, is waiting for us to unlock it, for us to persuade them enough to where they see the secret and hidden truth, that's not what the Bible paints. It's not our debating and our reasoning that gets them into the family of God. That's not, that's not what it says. It, it's, again, we don't have a get it button. 
get it. We don't have that. We don't, that's not what the Bible paints. Only, the people only and ever come to, to, come to faith in Jesus Christ because the Spirit of God works on them, bringing death to life, bringing a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, seeing the wisdom of God as complete foolishness to all of a sudden seeing it as life and hope and joy that is a work of the Spirit. It is completely only and ever a work of the Spirit. And because this is true, I want us to see a couple things. First, um, let us not disregard the Spirit's role in our lives. Meaning, let us never boast. Since this is true, um, we see because God opened our eyes. We believe because God transformed us and gave us the heart to believe. There's no room for our boasting in this. This is a work of, of God in the Christian life. It's, God is the first mover. God is the one who won this victory. I've heard it said that God is the one who makes us thirsty and then he gives us the drink. This is a work of God and we respond to it. Don't forget the role of the Spirit in our lives. Um, for a moment, I want to hone in on a statement that Paul makes to help us see this. Um, it's a weird statement. You're probably wondering, if you read through this, you're probably wondering about this sentence. Um, the spiritual person judges all things, but in, is himself to be judged by no one? Now, what does that, what on earth does that, does that mean? Um, I have conversations like this with my kids all the time. Um, all the time, or ones like this. So they tell me, I don't like sweet potatoes. I don't like them. I don't like them, I don't wanna eat them. I don't like sweet potatoes. I like regular potatoes better. I don't like sweet potatoes. I like regular potatoes better. They're adamant about it. This happened this week, actually. Um, and so, of course, that's fair. That's fair. But then I ask them, have you tried sweet potatoes? Have you tried them? And of course, the answer is no. Then of course, I follow up question, then how do you know? How do you know you don't like sweet potatoes? How do you know that regular potatoes are better than sweet potatoes? How do you know? If you've never tried it, how do you know? Being a judge of something, making a judgment call about something, means that you can see the two things that you're making a judgment call between. Right, so making a judgment call on which potato is better means that you have to have experienced or know or see both potatoes, right, to make this call. Um, you can't make it if you've never tasted sweet potatoes. Let's just say it like that. Can't make this judgment call. Not yours to make. So the same is true for us. The same is true for us. To make a judgment call between two things means that you have tasted and seen both of these things to make a judgment call. That's what it means. So God, through his, his spirit, has given us the ability to see what Paul says is hidden, the hidden wisdom of God. He's giving us the ability to taste the sweet potato. Right? He's given us this ability. And now it gives us this, the true ability to make a judgment call. 
to see what is true and what is false, what is, what is true wisdom and what is temporary wisdom, what is true and what is false. We can now make this judgment call. In contrast, though, in contrast to those who have not seen the things of God, they're not able to make that judgment call. They're not able to say it. They're not able to. It's like my kid saying, no, I don't like sweet potatoes when they haven't had sweet potatoes. It's not, it's not possible. Paul says those who have never tasted and seen cannot rightfully make a judgment call. Does that make sense? Can't rightfully make this judgment call. And then listen in verse 16. For who has understood the mind of the Lord is to instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. If you think back when Austin was on the stage, we don't know what he's thinking. We don't, we, we don't know without having the mind of Austin. We, don't, we can't know. But Paul says, we have the mind of Christ. In our analogy, Paul says, you have the mind of Austin. You have the mind of Austin. The Christian life is a supernatural life. We cannot disregard the work of the Spirit in our life. Opening our eyes, giving us the mind of Christ. There's no room for boasting other than in Christ. There's no room for it. And there is just an enormous amount of reliance in prayer when we realize this. Now, um, the second thing I want us to see is let us never disregard the Spirit's role in their life. In, in their lives. Uh, we started something last week called Who's Your One? Um, who's Your One? And I don't know, I mean this, I don't know if I've ever been this excited, excited about an initiative at our church before. I truly and sincerely believe that God is going to work in mighty ways through this. I cannot wait. Um, the initiative is very simple. Lent is coming up, and rather than giving something up for Lent, we are choosing to go on mission for Lent. Um, and what we're going to do, uh, Lent starts March 1st, so our mission is to share the gospel with our one during Lent. Share the gospel with one person. That's it, to share the gospel with words, like we talked about last week, with our one person, with one person to share the gospel. And, and as we talked about, we, we can have confidence that the gospel will transform lives and, and that the delivery of the message, um, we trust, I'll put it like this, we trust that the, the, the delivery of that message is not about me, it's not about my ability, it's not about if I'm just on that day, it doesn't, that's not what it, it, our ability to answer every question that they ask, that's not what it rests on. Um, but the delivery of the gospel message, as Paul says in verse four, um, we're not in plausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and of power. So it's about spirit and power, amen? Amen? All right, spirit and power. Then uh, I wanna push this a little further though. Um, why is it that we're not just intentionally sharing the gospel right now? Why are we waiting? Why are we not just going for it right now? Why not start now? Well, um, 
the time from now till March 1st, when it officially begins, is vitally and critically important. Vitally and critically important. Um, from now until March 1st, we are a church that, we are a church on our knees. I know when I wrote my name on my card, I felt a weight that has driven me to prayer. We are a church praying. Of course, we're praying for ourselves to have the ability to share, to have the opportunity, an open door, give us confidence, give us boldness. That's all great. That's all good. We should be praying for that. But more specifically, church, we should be praying for them. We should be praying for our one, that, that God would open their eyes and ears, that as we share, that they will receive. We should be praying for that. We should be praying for if, if the work of evangelism is the work of the Spirit, like we've talked about, then prayer is the work. I'll, I'll put it like this. If evangelism is a 10-step process, you have pray, 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 then pray, then pray, then pray, then pray, and then share. That's the 10-step process for evangelism. It's kind of easy to remember, isn't it? Um, we should be a church, we should be a people that are driven to our knees. If we believe this, then we should be driven to our knees in prayer for them. If we disregard the Spirit's role in their life, if we disregard that, there's no wonder why evangelism scares us to death. That's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure to get it right. Um, it's a lot of pressure to have all the right answers. It's a lot of pressure. If it, is, if it is us, then no wonder we are crippled with fear. No wonder. I, I've gone to eight years of Bible college and seminary. I am fearful. It doesn't, it's not a knowledge problem. It's not a knowledge problem. You can know, you can study, and still you feel this fear if you believe that it rests on you. If you believe it's yours, it's a daunting task. Let's come back to our Austin analogy here. If you believe that you have to, as, as God, as Austin is standing here, we have to tell people, he's, he's angry. Believe him. Believe him. Look at his manner, mannerisms. He's angry. If, if we thought that our job, our job in life, was to convince people that Austin is telling the truth, that Austin is angry, if we just thought that we had to get people to persuade them to believe, that is an absolutely daunting task. It's an absolutely daunting task. We forget that God tells us, church, that the Spirit is active. That the same way your eyes were open to the truth of the gospel is the same way that their eyes would be. That God is active. You do not have to give them the mind of Christ. You give them the message of Christ. God does the internal work to give them the mind. You give them the message. You introduce them to Austin. It's not yours to persuade. 
It's not yours to give them a mind. It's not yours to do the internal work. It's yours to share and to watch the Spirit do His work and bring the fruit. This is why evangelism should not be something we look at with fear, but of joy, because we get to see God at work. Let us never disregard the Spirit's role in others' lives, in their lives. Now, I want to make this more specific to where we are right now as a church. Let us never disregard the work of the Spirit in the life of our one. Here's what I want us to do as we, as we kind of close today. Um, I want us to apply this direct, directly to where we are. Um, we know that God is active in the proclamation of the gospel message. We know that. We believe that. We believe that the Spirit works through the good news being shared. We believe this. We know this. And this leads us to depend on him as we share the good news. At the same time, we also know that God is active in the hearts of those who are hearing the gospel. That he is doing a work. We know this, we believe this, and this leads us to depend on him in prayer before we share. As we share. That we depend on him. Sometimes I feel like we take too much of a weight that we can never bear. That was never ours to bear. We try to take the Spirit's job as though it were ours. Is there any wonder why we're terrified to share our faith? Church, our job is message. His job is mind. The mind of Christ. So um, if you are a, a, if you call Stone Oak your home, um, if, if you call, I, I want to I challenge you as your pastor to join me in this Who Is Your One mission. You may have never have done anything like this before. I want to invite you. If you're a visitor with us this morning, I also want to invite you. This is not about our kingdom here at Stone Oak Bible. This is about the kingdom work on mission as, as followers of Jesus together. Um, my hope is that, that you have all identified your one. If this is the first you've heard of it, then I'll give you grace. Um, but I hope that, that the Lord has laid someone on your heart. I, I wrote on my card a name, and, and like I said, I, I admit when I wrote this, I felt more of a burden than I ever have. <laughs> it got real for me for whatever reason. Um, I hope that, you, that God has led you to someone that has led you to someone that, that you can be praying for, that you can, that you can be sharing. Um, but here's what I want us to do this morning. We're gonna have a time of prayer for our one. Now, here's the point of this time. Um, it's not to pray for, for yourself in this. It's not to pray that you have boldness, right words, opportunity, open door. All of those things are great. You do need to be praying for those things, but that's not what we're gonna be doing here. Um, what, we're, what I want us to do is I want us to specifically pray for our one. If you know them, who they are already, you pray for them by name. If you don't yet know who your one is, that's okay. Pray for them. 
pray for them. Pray that, that the Spirit would already start to work. Pray that right now that God would already be working, already giving them eyes to see, ears to hear. Pray that they're receptive to the gospel. Church, have you ever pleaded with the Lord on someone else's behalf? This is a time to do just that. That we, that we plead with God on their behalf. And I want to just invite you to take a minute right where you are and would you just come to God in prayer? Come to God in prayer for your, for your one. And then I'll close us. Let's pray.